you can volunteer directly at our centers awesome. and we need everybody. Any skill, really any skill can be utilized or no skill can also be utilized. Hi ladies, we are Andrea and Carol coming at you from the International Women's Association in Graz, Austria. We are women supporting women in all stages and seasons of life and from different parts of the world. Our members come from different backgrounds and life experiences and we are excited to share them here with you. For more information, we invite you to check us out on our website at iwagraz.org. Und jetzt, los geht's! Welcome back, listeners, to the IWA podcast. We are so happy to have you here. It's morning where we are and when we are recording this episode. So whenever you're listening to it, hope you're having a great day. It's going to be a gorgeous day. I think it's going to be sunshine and warm weather. We're getting into those spring, spring temperatures, which I love. And today we have an awesome guest joining us. I'm so excited to introduce to you Shannon DeRuzzo. It's so crazy. I don't know if you realize this, Shannon, but you were the first person I met from the IWA when I arrived in Austria. <laughs> Welcome to Austria. See that? <laughs> Here's an American. <laughs> did that work out? <laughs> yeah, it was my very first IWA coffee morning and it was at Cafe Kaiserfeld and I walked in and I sat down and I was just, oh my gosh, so thankful to be around English speakers. And um, it was literally, I think, three weeks after I moved here and you came in and you sat down you were like, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, I could get down with this chick. <laughs> it was great. So that's when we met. Go figure. Much faster than me. It took me three years. And finally, I said, I need some girlfriends that speak English. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Three years before you found? Oh, wow. Unbelievable. See that timing, folks? It's all about the timing, too. But hey, you found it and you're in. And yes. look at it. It's awesome. I know. I look forward to every coffee morning and happy hour. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. I do, too. I couldn't make this week's coffee morning, but that's okay. No big deal. No worries. Um, so Shannon, please, so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I know that you are an incredibly busy lady, so I appreciate you taking the time. Do me a favor, just give our listeners a, a quick little pitch about yourself. Where are you from? What's going on? What do you do? And how did you land in Graz? Oh, well, um, so I'm an American. I was originally born in Rhode Island. Um, and then at some point when I got sick of Rhode Island, uh, or just basically needed, I wanted to go to vet school okay. and there's not a vet school that's associated with Rhode Island. And so I needed to move away either way. And I loved skiing and snowboarding. So I moved to Colorado. So then I was in Colorado for 10 years going, getting my undergraduate degree and my vet degree, my doctorate. And then after that, I was in love with mountains. And then I moved to Alaska. And I lived in Alaska for close to 12 years and was a veterinarian. I had my own business doing relief work, so filling in at clinics. So people would fly me all over Alaska and fill in, say a husband and wife needs to go away for two weeks to visit family. I would fly in, stay at their house, watch their pets run their vet clinic, drive their car, take care of their home, everything, and would get flown all around. Um, at some point, 
that got a little old and I was looking for the ability to kind of explore, expand my surgical skills, which are difficult to do in that sort of position. And so I took a job at a vet clinic, which was also the vet for the Alaska Zoo. Um, and I was full-time there for five, about five years. Wow. Then I got sick of the cold in the dark <laughs> and had a friend who kept coming back from the Mojave Desert working with tortoises and they were very tan. And oh, so I said, nice. I said, how are you doing this? <laughs> and um, I left Alaska um, and got a job in the Mojave Desert working with desert tortoises. And strangely in the Mojave Desert, there was an Austrian. <gasps> See that? How does that happen? Yeah. And said Austrian um, happens to have a turtle center. And so I came out and visited and then visited again and again and again. And, <laughs> and so we eventually um, got married. And now we have uh, our center is 2000, about 2,500 turtles and tortoises. We're the highest level scientifically based uh, category A zoo. We're the only animal shelter for turtles and tortoises in Austria. Um, and that I started coming here about 10 years ago. So that oh. is skinny. Oh my goodness. What an awesome journey though. Like all over the spot. You've been kind of all over the map. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't want to go farther Northwest. I figure that was about as <laughs> I would have had to go to the Kamchatka range, I think, in Russia at that point. Okay. That, that, yeah, you, you cut the line there. Okay, yeah. that's fair. So each spot that you said, you know, you grew another, you had another interest that popped up and you wanted to work in different fields, expand your surgical skills. Um, have you gotten bored at all working with turtles and tortoises? Um, really not. They're, first of all, they're so much to learn. Um, and I, I mean, that's true for every species. I mean, no matter if you're a veterinarian, let's say only for dogs and cats, I think the week before you retire, you probably have a case that you've never had before. So there's an endless possibilities, but there are around 360 species and so little is known about so many of these species and so much depends on the husbandry of them. And so we, when we have dogs and cats, I mean, as long as you feed a normal complete diet and they go out and they get a little exercise, that's husbandry for the most part. Where turtles and tortoises, every species is different. Every incubation is different. And there's so much that's not known where if I draw blood, there may not be a single thing that I can compare this to for that species anywhere in, in publication. So there's just an endless amount to know. I do miss, I do miss the softness and furriness of mammals and pet the <laughs> dog every once in a while. So my friends who have pets, I get to get in my dog and cat time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine working with the, uh, the species of turtles is a very different feel to it, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Did you have to go, when you started working in the field, did you have to go and take additional special training or coursework with respect to turtles and tortoises? Or was, was your training that you had had and done your doctorate in veterinarian school already sufficient? Was that enough for you? Uh, well, so basically I was always interested in reptiles for whatever reason. I grew up on a small farm with horses and dogs and cats and rabbits and blah, blah. 
my mom always said, we need a vet in the family and you're an only child. So there you go. (laughs) That was going to be my next question. How did you come to become a vet? So the seed was always planted, although I, I mean, you could also say that to probably lots of children and they wouldn't go and become a vet. Some would probably have rebelled against that, but I was always you know, patching up our animals. My, our poor Dobermans always had bandages on them where they didn't need them because I, as a kid was always trying to help them. Um, and I started giving injections to horses when I was, I don't know, four or five years old. And so it was sort of always in there. And, um, I kind of always loved reptiles and I don't know where that necessarily came from, but I had an iguana and a turtle and then Prior to vet school, I did a bunch of studies in the zoo ward and I always worked with exotics and not that many people like reptiles. So when you do like reptiles, then you get a lot of that experience. And then when you do Mojave Desert work with the desert tortoise, since they are federally protected, then you do have to do some additional training to do the health assessments and do blood draws and all of that. And so I took uh, additional fish and wildlife certification training. And now I run a health program for the Marine Corps in California for desert tortoises. We have about 2000 desert tortoises that I manage. Amazing. Holy cow. So additional training, some things here and there with respect to adding on to the reptile species and, and what you're doing there. Did you find this hard to then transfer all of that background experience, knowledge, and everything that you done that you had done in the US, did you find this hard to transfer and transition it to Austria? How did that work for you? Uh, well, there's still, so even last week, I did training in endoscopy in Italy with the endoscopy god of turtles, turtle endoscopy god. Oh, he's in and, Italy. Good to know. Yes. I mean, there are a few. There's also a really good one in America, but okay. this guy has done some published some papers that I had read. So I was pretty excited to meet him. And he said, ah, we're just about to sedate a turtle and do the procedure that I had read about. And so I, he did it and then I got to do it. It's very exciting. Oh, cool. And yeah. So, um, but they, there's a lot of, there's just so many techniques and so many things that work different for different species. So a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is just learning from other people. I mean, I have some really good people. I have my kind of reptile veterinarian guru also, who is in um, Germany, who I'm like, Marcus, help me. And it's Shannon, what you need to do is blah, blah. I'm like, thank you, Marcus. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I give, I, I lecture at other zoos and they say, well, how did you learn this? I say, I just ask everyone. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Sometimes it's all it means is just to asking a question. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. We, we all can't know everything. That is for sure. And I feel that I am certainly in that category. Uh, me as well. Add me <laughs> to the list. I definitely don't know everything. So, okay. You are currently, are you registered or I, I shouldn't say registered, maybe is it licensed as a vet here in Austria yet? No, I am in the middle of that process. It's called the Nostrofizierung process. And you have to, in every country, you would have to do this. So I had to get my U.S. degree uh, certified or looked at where they assess it here. And then there, I had to take two exams, which were each were two parts in German at the vet school. 
And then they also have this thing called a diploma arbeit, which uh, is actually like a master's thesis. But instead of that, I'm able to publish a paper as a first author in a scientific journal. So I have passed all my exams and I submitted. Thank you. It was not easy. Not easy. My German is not amazing. Yeah, but you passed. So this is great. Congratulations. Thank you. And I have submitted my paper uh, at the Journal of Herpetological Medicine and Surgery in the United States. And I am in the process of just waiting for the editor to tell me what they think. So I have some really good co-authors in the U.S., so hopefully that should not be a problem. And my it all has to be finished by the end of June. So by the end of June, we can hopefully check that box. Yay. All right, listeners, keep your fingers crossed there for Shannon. We need this all to go through. So this is great. Awesome. So it sounds like you still do a lot of work in the U.S. as well as here in Austria. Is that the case? So our center here are, is a non-for-profit center in the United in, in Austria. I also have a non-for-profit 501c3 formed in the United States. But for income, I'm still working in the United States uh, for the majority of my income working in the United States with the Marines. And I, um, there's also some solar projects and work with ravens, but the desert tortoise is only active in the spring and fall. So I go to the Mojave desert in April and May and sometime in September and October. And then I'm here for the rest of the year. Awesome. And just out of curiosity, because I didn't even know this was possible, how is this connected to the Marine Corps? Marine Corps, the Marine the Corps Center is in 29 Palms. There's actually a few in, in California that are in the desert. And so in the Mojave Desert is the desert tortoise. And the desert tortoise is federally protected as an endangered species under the Endangered Species Act. So when, for example, the Marine Corps, uh, it's called the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center, wanted to expand and they're going to go into habitat, they have to follow, they have to generally follow regulations. They're using taxpayers' money. And so it's in order to get approval, they have to follow the federal regulations. And so we at one point had over 100 biologists walking five meters transects next to each other, trying to find all of the desert tortoises. Once they're found, they get a transmitter, they have to do a health assessment. And then once everything, all the boxes are checked, then they got put in a helicopter and flown off the military base to a translocation site. And then their health is studied for multiple years after, and also the health of the tortoises in the areas in the translocation site. And so it's a huge, huge project. And they fascinating. Yeah, they're also doing DNA studies and head starting programs with collecting eggs from some females. And there's a pen, uh, which has about 1000 baby tortoises in it now. Um, and they, when they get, when they're really small, they're easy prey for, especially ravens. The raven population is really booming because of humans. And so ravens and coyotes and, um, feral dogs. So we wait until they are large enough and they're in an enclosed pen with a big mesh on the top. And then when they're large enough and their shell is hard enough, then they get translocated out to the field. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. I, I never, never even knew that any of this was a part of all of that. Holy, holy moly. 
It's yeah. I, it really is. It's fascinating. You don't, I think, especially for our listeners, of course, what's been so interesting is that every time we've had a guest on the, the podcast, we are learning so much more about these intricate details that otherwise we never would have known even is taking place. So who would have known that in the Mojave Desert where the Marine Corps wants to expand their base, you know, this is happening because it's dealing with protected species that are on the land. So this is, um, yeah, this is fascinating to me. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, if even on the regular active base, if there is a train of tanks and they are going and there is a desert tortoise in the way, which they can see really well often because they're higher up in the tank, the entire train stops and they stop and they call the person who is the natural resources person to come and move the tortoise out of the way. And they're like, tortoise, tortoise. (laughs) (laughs) And then they call and stop and they, yeah. And they do, they follow the regulations to make sure that it gets moved out of the way. So there's a way to stop the U S military Marine Corps. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what we need to do. Who would have known? (laughs) Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, okay. You have your center here in Graz and you had how many, you have how many turtles and tortoises? 2,500 approximately. Holy moly. We have about 240 species. We have the largest collection worldwide when it comes to endangered species there are of course like turtle farms um, which have more of one particular animal for the food or pet industry but for as a conservation center we have the most amount of endangered species and animals overall are there outside of obviously your particular center are there actually a lot of turtles in austria is that even a species that people would find so Native to Austria, there's only one species, uh, the European pond turtle, Emmys orbicularis, but within Austria, it is very interesting. There are actually quite a few of animal turtle keepers in Austria and Germany. I, and when I first came here, I thought, does everyone have like 200 turtles? This is so weird. I mean, I know that the people that I visit based on my husband is Peter Proshog is, uh, is a little bit skewed than the normal visitors. Sure. Uh, but it is, there are quite a few people who have turtles and tortoises here. And it, it also seems like it's much more accepted where I don't, I wouldn't see this so much where you go to somebody's house and in their kitchen, they've sort of built in an aquarium to have turtles. And the wife is really excited to have the turtles there. And we do some programs where with people that we know, where we're trying to raise baby turtles that are endangered, that may go out back into the wild um, and they'll keep them in their home and raise them until they're large enough. And then we some of them go to the Singapore Zoo or other zoos and, and some get reintroduced into the wild. Wow. What would even be considered the wild here for, for turtles and tortoises to, to go back into? Like when I think of turtles or reptiles in general, I'm picturing the Everglades, you know, like I'm picturing yeah. spaces like that. But I don't know of any space like that within Austria. Well, in Austria, since there's only one species, we're not reintroducing the species here. It would be like, for example, there's a species called the Rhodey Island snakeneck turtle. They only come from Rhodey Island, Indonesia. That island, there are not any more of those turtles there. They were either eaten, sold in the pet trade. They're just not there. 
but the habitat wasn't destroyed. It's not like they plowed it over and put, put palm or condos or anything. It's just that the animals aren't there, but the area needs to be protected. So then other organizations will go in and they can protect the area. And then we are breeding them and other zoos are also breeding them. And then when the area is safe enough, then we can reintroduce them into that area. Oh, cool. It, it's fascinating work. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not someone who has ever been involved or interested in the field of working with animals. And I just, I know so, so little about the work that goes into, like you said, in, in this environment where you're conserving, you're, you're trying to protect species, you're trying to keep them from going extinct. Um, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of work and, and not just work with the actual species themselves, but I can imagine the paperwork piles up over time as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the majority of the things that are the take the most amount of time that are the most difficult is there's the things called the CITES, which is Convention for the International Trade of Endangered Species. And so all of these animals need have a lot of bureaucracy around them. And the and it can be a very difficult many year process, even just to move one animal across the planet for breeding purposes or something like that. Um, but they're, I mean, they've been around since the dinosaurs. They're hundreds of millions of years old. And like, for example, in the Mojave Desert, they build burrows. The desert tortoise builds a burrow, digs a burrow that they live in underground because it's too cold in the winter and too hot in the summer. And that burrow is a home for another 125 to 150 species. Wow. And a lot of those cannot dig burrows. There's a burrowing owl that's also um, being monitored and the burrowing owl can't dig a burrow. It can only live in a, a burrow that somebody else has made. So if you get rid of one species, you affect 150 other species. It's that whole butterfly effect. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that happens in a lot of places and they're such an amazing species where there's a group of animals where you have, so for example, everyone can see what a turtle and tortoise is. You might not know the difference between say a mule and a horse or certain types of antelopes or things like that, but everybody can see a tortoise and, or a turtle with the shell. I mean, it's very characteristic. A child can see it. And there's this total unique evolutionary development in the animal kingdom of which there are no middle steps that have been discovered. So the turtle and tortoise, the which we call Chelonians, basically is where their hips, their pelvic girdle and their shoulder girdle are inside their rib cage. All of their organs are inside their rib cage. And what their shell is, is actually their rib cage. Each rib got wider and wider and wider and became a shell. And so, and then everything is inside and there are no evolutionary steps where they've said, well, here's one that's sort of half in half out. And here has one where its hips are half in half out. There's just a turtle. It wow. just came. And so it's a very, it's just such a special group that is just needs to be protected. And there, I mean, we have, they're the most threatened group of vertebrates on our planet right now. And, and really, our, yes, their <clears throat> numbers are really being decimated. And our focus at Turtle Island is to um, really try to do conservation breeding of the world's most endangered, but also overlooked species. So for example, 
the sea turtle. Sea turtle is amazing. It's beautiful. Sea turtle is very lucky where they go. They go to beautiful beaches that wealthy people want to go to. They're gorgeous. People want to, you know, they want to snorkel with them. It's great. So they get tons of funding. Great. Great for the sea turtle. Um, We try to focus on species where people are not even noticing that they're going in danger, that they're becoming endangered. And for example, my husband, there was a species where they were thought to exist in India, Bangladesh, Myanmar. And he said, no, no, these are, these are two different species. And so he went and did the genetics and took all the tissue samples and proved that it was a different species, then renamed that species. Once it became its own species, and it's clearly a different species, it's just no one was really able to see that because they weren't studying it. Once he renamed the species, it, they found that there was only nine known on the entire planet at that point. Wow. So it went from being a species of zero concern to in the top five red list, you can get funding. We started two programs. He started two programs in Bangladesh and then a program in India. And through that, we um, there's now over 600 on the planet. And um, we've just had our female here which is our logo is that species okay and it's our flagship species and she just laid 31 eggs wow and so when you have a species there's 600 on the planet that's a pretty significant impact her name is the queen oh i love it she is the largest of her um species known on the planet and she's beautiful so she is you guys have her here in graz here in graz unbelievable we have the only breeding group out of their countries of origin unbelievable so turtle island you said you your mission is not only to obviously do conservation work but certainly especially with those protected species that most people don't know about what are some of the factors um or and i guess this this could probably be a very long list but Perhaps me, you know, your average person, I don't know if there's anything that I can do, but that's because I just don't know. What do you find is killing off these species? What What is unfortunately creating these circumstances where they're obviously going into extinction? What can we do as your everyday person? And I might be putting you on the spot to ask, but I'm, I'm just curious, is this an environmental thing? Is this a climate change thing like we're hearing about with so many other factors? Is this building is this yeah how does that play a part i mean it's all humans and then so there and it really depends on the species some species are heavily consumed eaten within their country of origin okay some are sold heavily on the pet trade within the top three uh, um, illegal trades in the world you have drugs, you have gun weapons, and you have animal trade. Um, human trade is also up there. So they're, there's, they're always vying for the top three, but animal trade is also up there amongst that. And so you have, um, and there are, you, in Asia, there's a lot of the traditional Chinese medicine where that has consumed a lot of animals. Um, you have habitat loss. Um, in Bangladesh, they, they ate them. 
Uh, I mean, it's one of the world's most densely populated and poorest countries in the world. In addition to the eggs, I believe that the eggs were part of like royalty, but I mean, everyone ate them. They, they don't have a lot. Right. And so you Their can't, food, this was a food source for them. Right. It is. Yes. Um, and so there are, there's of course pollution uh, with sea turtles. They see disease that's affecting them. That is due to pollution in the ocean. There's um, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's fishing uh, consumption, sure. the pet trade, loss of habitat in the desert. We have uh, all of these, you know, people building neighborhoods along the edge of the desert or in the desert. And then there are, they leave their dogs out. And so every area which then has a neighborhood near it you can see how the the majority of tortoises have been chewed on by dogs yeah you can see the difference where a a coyote is not going to spend a long time just chewing on something where a dog is bored they want a toy and so they take they go and they take a tortoise and they chew on it for a while um it looks very different than an animal that's needs its energy to hunt and so um, in the, in the, also in the desert, we have the Raven that's increased some places by thousands of percent. And so we have the 30, we have 37 of the top 50 most endangered turtle and tortoise species in the world. Wow. And, um, there are, yeah, it, it's, it's just multifactorial depending on, as I said, like Rhodey Island, they just, they're just gone. They only exist in one tiny Island and then they're gone. And they yeah, the Batagabasca is tough. It's a tougher one to protect all of these. There are these species that go, they go into the mangrove forest uh, up into rivers. And it's the largest mangrove forest in the world in between India and Bangladesh. And it is technically a park and is technically fishing is illegal, but there's tons of fishing. It's huge. It's in, and, um, and, and so they, they go and they lay their eggs in rivers and fresh water or brackish water, and then they swim out into the ocean. How, how do you protect that area? It's not yeah. like an animal that lives in a pond or a small tributary or one river, it's the ocean. Right. Um, and so certain species are much more difficult to protect. You do have to do a lot of public awareness. You have to give people other food sources, other income sources. It's not just putting a fence around a pond. Yeah. Wow. So there's, I mean, there are ways that we can uh, impact that. I think I was watching a documentary not too long ago about the effects the pandemic had on so many uh, areas, uh, you know, with respect to animals, reptiles and the like, since everyone was pretty much on lockdown, some animals that were close to extinction or some reptiles that were close to that wound up thriving during the pandemic because mm -hmm. their habitats were untouched by humans, you know, beaches and special places that normally humans go to for tourist things and travel and vacation, they wound up not doing that through almost a period of two years. And this allowed some of those particular habitats to really thrive and some of those animals and reptiles to thrive again. So there, there is an impact that we make for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, there, wherever humans are not going, the animals are better off. Chernobyl is, has a great wolf population. There's great animal populations in Chernobyl because people are not there. Right. They left. Where, where, yeah. Where there are places where there have been tons of landmines, people and people don't go there. The animals thrive. Wow. Uh, I mean, but in general, if you, you know, buy animals that are not from the illegal pet trade, if you're, 
you know, trying to follow the regulations for, you know, taking animals out of the wild, trying to do your part for plastic. I mean, the amount of plastic in the world is killing. Yes, just killing all, you know, tons of animals, whether turtles or sea animals or birds. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the pollution is really terrible and climate change. A lot of turtles have their gender that they are, the gender that they are is determined by the temperature that their eggs are incubated at. And so for those species and in general, for those species, higher temperatures favor females. Okay. And so a turtle might lay an egg, might lay eggs into one little chamber, but in that chamber, there's gradations in temperature from the top being the warmest closest to the surface to the bottom. So you'd have some gradation of males and females. Um, but in with climate change and everything gets warmer, there are places where they're looking and they're getting hundred percent females, which will not last forever. I mean, I mean, in general, Females are often worse off for turtle species than males because the females have to go on to shore to lay eggs. And so then they are taken by people there and uh, there and, and predation. So in general populations, the females are lower percentage. And so females for a little while will be good. Sure, but, but not forever. Yeah. yeah. Eventually you need the males. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have the balance of the two. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how can we, you have, how many facilities in Graz do you have? Is it three? Or? We have three in Graz and then we have one in Deutschlandsburg, uh, which is one a primary is, that's been added to Turtle Island a few years ago. And uh, so we have lots of different things that you can do if you are in Graz, we have, uh, you can volunteer directly at our centers awesome. and we need everybody. I, I, you, if you have zero skills, you can still pick dandelion greens. You can still clean. I mean, we have, there is endless cleaning to do. (laughs) Working with reptiles, there's endless cleaning. So here it is. Here's the call folks. This is, this is the call for service. Like we, we need the volunteers. So yeah. What, what can people do and how do they get involved? Yeah. We've had people who say, I am an artist. I have no idea about turtles, but I want to help. And so we had art saves turtles fundraisers and people donated art and they, uh, or they sold them and then they donated a portion of it to us. We used to have Facebook fundraisers for art. We have uh, one of our great uh, um, volunteers, he's retired and he worked at a botanical garden and he knows filters and electrical things. We have someone else who works for the Gay Kaka and he comes and does some construction work for us and helps really, I mean, we need painting, we need construction. In the summer, we need a lot of uh, dandelion greens um, collected. There's uh, any skill, really any skill can be utilized or no skill can also be utilized. So we can train people um, on our website. We have a way that you can click on to become a volunteer. We also have things if you're not in grads, 
and you would like to volunteer. Some people also have done things from the United States where we had somebody volunteering to help with our social media for a while. Somebody wanted to make YouTube videos, things like that. So if you have a technical skill and you're not near us, that's also possible. Also, we have, you can make direct donations. We have an Amazon wish list if people would rather buy things. Oh, and cool. all of this is on our website for items that we need. Uh, so you can go on and just purchase items, much needed items, and those get sent directly to us. We have also Amazon Smiles where you can, every purchase that you make goes the 0.05%, which you wouldn't think is much, but it does add up. We do get a, a decent amount from Amazon, from people just selecting our charities. And we have Amazon Smiles and uh, .de for Austria and Germany. And then we also have amazonsmiles.com in the United States. So those, all of those are options. Uh, we also, you can also sponsor a turtle. So we have 12 different species on our website where if you can select one that you like and there's, you know, recommended amounts, which will help feed that animal for the year and take care of them for the year. So if you want to just sponsor an animal for one year, sponsor a species, an animal. Yeah. So many ways that people can get involved. And I hope that this, I hope that people listening will recognize that there are things out there. You know, we have a lot of our members, of course, and a lot of people who probably are listening that are not members as well, that are looking for ways to volunteer their time, you know, volunteer their services and support other organizations or other people with their resources. And this is a great way to do that. So I, I love that there's a lot for people to do. Just out of curiosity, where can one find dandelion greens i mean we're we're right smack and i live smack in the center of the city so like i can't walk down the street and find dandelion greens so where would i go to find them if i wanted to collect them for you guys well actually you can because dandelions are a pretty invasive species and so they do grow really everywhere they're uh, like we the weeds coming out of the cement yeah. in the center of the cracks right yeah. and but we for our animals, since they are being fed to them, we don't want any that are directly on the side of the road where there's going to be exhaust um, and car, car exhaust on them okay. or adjacent to fields, right adjacent to fields where we know that they're being sprayed. And so um, people have collected them from different parks, um, you know, on the edge of parks in Graz. Uh, there are people who just live on the edge of Graz where there's little fields and there's just greens where it's, you know, you're a meter, if you're a meter off the road, then, you know, you can That's see the difference thing. between the, the dandelion greens that are right next to the road that are dirty and there's particulate yeah. matter on them to just a few feet a meter off the road, there's, they're fresh and green. And uh, our tortoises and Indian, there's quite a few vegetarian turtles who really need greens. They don't, they don't, they really do not do well with if you feed them lettuce from the grocery store. Okay. Uh, it, and so we need lots of dandelions in the, in the summer, lots of dandelion greens. And then, yeah, and we're, what we're trying to do is build one large one center where they all will go together so we also are looking for um with the small any donation helps a euro helps a dollar helps but also people who are interested we are tax deductible in austria and the united states as i said we have a 501c3 so we're looking to build a large center which we have multiple different uh 
ideas about this one would be a full public zoo. One is more of a private uh, scientifically based research center. So there's, and a lot of this is on our website. And also if people are interested in getting involved in the bigger picture, we can also send additional information privately. Awesome. What is the website address? www.turtle minus or dash island dot at. Awesome. We'll put it in the description too for our episode so that it's easy for people to get to because I think it's, I one, it's amazing. I definitely didn't know any of the information that you shared that is really seriously fascinating. You would never think that so much work is going on at least me, again, not knowing and not having any kind of knowledge or background in reptiles or animals, but knowing all of what's going on behind the scenes to protect certain species um, that exist on our planet and what's happening to them and, and how we can make a difference and play a part in that. So yeah, I encourage you listeners, get out there and and check out the website for Turtle Island. Um, reach out to Shannon. There's ways to do that through the website, of course, and and get involved, even if it's yeah, while you're out walking through Stutt Park, pick up some dandelion greens, collect them, and bring them on over to Turtle Island because they can use them. Yeah, and we have, our website is in German and in English. Oh, great. Um, that helps. Yeah, so, and, so it, and all of the donation is there's PayPal, credit card. So it makes uh, sense. Yeah, transfer, whatever. We're there to, to help. Um, and we have also as an animal shelter, we get a lot of sick and injured animals in. And so it really, all of those donations really help for the critically endangered ones. And also all of the ones that were, are released to us that were people's pets that they cannot care for anymore. Yeah. I was going to say, if someone stumbled across a turtle somewhere in the middle of, I don't know, Stutt Park, would they mm-hmm. be able to bring it to you guys and say, Hey, I found this turtle and it's totally just hanging around Stutt Park. Not sure it should be there. So yeah, the, all of the information is also on the website, and we we had one where somebody left a turtle on a bus in Graz, oh. and they stopped the bus. They got took everyone off the bus. They brought another bus, put everybody on the other bus, and they waited for us to arrive with the bus driver so that we could go and get this just tiny little multi-centimeter baby turtle off of the bus bus. oh my goodness who would have thunk it wow well that's good hey i i appreciate that grats because you know they they took that seriously they didn't know what they were dealing with right they didn't want someone just to like maybe sit on the poor thing and squish it so wow they went to great lengths to get you guys involved to help that little turtle (laughs) really cute and i think they had called like the police and the fire department and the came to us and, <laughs> and we we showed up and the bus driver's just waiting there and she's like it's right there oh my <laughs> gosh how unbelievable well that's really cool i think that's neat that there's then there there's a there's a concern there's an obvious you know a concern out there so that's good that's a good thing yeah. So my one final question, and there's so many more I would ask, but I maybe we'll have to do a second parter on this, Shannon, because I'm really fascinated by some of the things you shared and well, by all of what you shared, to be honest, uh, what is what is your hope for the future of, you know, with your organization and the work that you do, you and your husband, how you're involved here in Austria and Germany, and then, of course, in the U.S. as well. What is your hope for the future of the species that you protect? Well, the it's a difficult question, but there, 
you know, everybody says, oh, you, are you bringing them back to the wild? And that's I, ideal and dreamy. And sometimes it's possible. And if the wild is a safe place for them, then great. We don't need to keep them in captivity. Our One of our main goals is to ensure that these animals do not go extinct and just have assurance colonies for them. There's also quite a few species that have never been um, bred in the in captivity. And so if there are species that say live in one river drainage in Brazil, and then this is actually true, and then upriver from that from this one area is mining. Mm. So if there is a mining disaster, then it's over for this species. And so if nobody knows how to breed them in captivity, then it's really they have no hope. And it's, they're not like a chicken. It's not like you just put the egg in and a little while later, a baby chicken comes out. There are multiple species that have never been successfully bred in the wild. And we have bred quite a few species that we are the first and only ones who have bred them in captivity. And so some of them, there's like a thing called diapause where let's say, for example, an animal lays, a turtle lays an egg in the fall well, it starts to develop and then it gets cold and then it goes into this pause. And then, so we have species where it might take over a year for the eggs to hatch and you have to replicate a winter and then you have to replicate a monsoon and then you have to replicate a hot summer and then you have to replicate the fall and then maybe they'll hatch. And so we share with like the Prague Zoo, they were able to breed a species first that no one had ever been able to breed. And then we were able to do it based on their um, protocol. And then we had one of our animal keepers did her masters on diapause. And she's presently in South America right now, researching the habitat for some of these species, because if you don't, you have to know what their habitat is and then you have to be able to try to replicate that in captivity. Yeah. In an incubation, in an incubator. Yeah. And so, um, you know, our goal really depends upon the needs of the species and our main goal is to build right now. Having four centers logistically is crazy. It's a lot of driving. You have to four of everything, but it's kind of how it has developed and building one ideal center is of course a large cost. And so we are really working towards making this happen. And this is our primary goal, which will then allow us to go to the next level with, with more of these species. But at this point, we're really, I think doing an amazing job with what we have. Uh, And it really just depends on the needs of the species and where, what's going on with them in the wild or are they, are they, is it primarily pet trade? Is it primarily habitat loss? Is it, you know, what, what really is their issue? Right. So it really comes down to protection. It really, I mean, at the base of it all, it really comes down to protection um, and not allowing any of the species, species that you're aware of to, to fall into extinction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and doing things on a more scientific basis where we can do the when you're down to nine animals, you have to really do the genetics and, you know, breed them in a really scientific way so that you're not doing inbreeding and trying to, you know, make sure that if you can get any, anything, any new ones that may be coming in from who know who, whatever, but it's, you have to just, 
you see what you've got and then try to find the best way to make it happen so that the species does not go extinct. Wow. Amazing work, really amazing. And I'm, I'm seriously, I'm blown away. And I, I jotted down a couple of other questions that I totally want to ask. So we might have to do a second parter on this one because I think this is just fascinating. And uh, again, listeners, if you are looking for some volunteer work, if you're looking for a great cause to support, check out Turtle Island. Um, I highly encourage you to reach out to Shannon and connect with her and find out ways that you can get involved because I've actually had the chance now to visit two of the facilities, which is awesome. And um, I'll be collecting dandelion greens this summer, so don't worry, I'll be doing my part. And uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll, it's, it's, it's amazing work. It's really awesome what you guys have been able to establish and, and grow and how you've managed to, again, like you said, just kind of work through all the locations and combat what you're up against. Um, so yeah, amazing, amazing work. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. This is Thank awesome. Thank you, Carol. This was so much fun. Really appreciate it. Yes, yes. We will definitely have you back on and uh, what a great opportunity, seriously, for, I mean, I know that you also have some volunteers that are young teenagers as well. So, you know, you've got students who are involved and invested in Turtle Island. So if you've got young people at home and you're looking for something to keep them busy during the summer, uh, there's great ways that you can get them involved at Turtle Island as well. So we highly encourage you to do that. So thank you again, Shannon, for joining us. So happy to have you here. We'll have, we'll definitely have you back. And, uh, and to our listeners, as always, make sure you check out the iwagratz.org website for all of your IWA needs. We have some exciting events coming up at the um, start of March, of course. And yeah, enjoy that warmer weather. Get out in the sunshine. Now's the time to do it. So until next time, enjoy Graz. Bis später and cheese.